Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest or guests will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guests are Matt Angel and Suzanne Coote. They're the filmmaking duo behind movies like The Open House and Hypnotic, but their latest film, The Wrath of Becky, sequel to Becky, is out now in theaters. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're really excited to chat with you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Wrath of Becky, can you um, tell our listeners a little bit about this movie um, in case they haven't seen it yet? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Wrath of Becky is a R-rated action horror comedy revenge flick that tells the story of Becky, which isn't her last name. Yeah, what well, uh, is her last name? Rebecca. We're terrible. Uh, that tells With the good the hair. Becky, Rebecca. <laughs> that tells the story of a, a 16-year-old girl who <laughs> whose path crosses with a group of douchebag insurrectionists who take out a loved one and steal her dog. And did I say vengeance already? She seeks revenge. Said revenge. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a... Oh, yeah. Did that do it? I don't know. That was great. Matt's no, Matt's is so much better. I'm literally, I just say it's a six, it's a movie about a 16-year-old girl killing proud boys. And I go, uh, we did I mean proud boys. I, it's, you've got like the log line and then you've got like the nice synopsis, but you're like you've got like the elevator pitch. This yeah. is all of us. This is good cop, bad cop. This is us all the time. It's like <laughs> if I'm a bad cop to Proud Boys, I think I can die happy. You know? Same. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the way to be. That is the way to be. But so how did y'all get uh, involved with making the sequel to Becky? So the producers at Boulder Light, phenomenal producers, called us. We were friends with them like a couple years, like for five years. Well, we had met them through work. Through work. And just spent years getting to know them 
and trying to find something we could all do together. Yeah. And then we were neighbor neighbors. I can talk to uh, next door neighbors to Lulu Wilson and oh wow, uh, yeah. In studio city. And so we were all, it was just like fun friends and that's, I'm going to okay. take over this one too. Yeah. 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 No, go ahead. Go ahead. Cause I just said it was fun friends. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I got it. I liked it. Thanks. Fun Thanks. Friends. You keep going. You got it. Okay. Okay. I got this. And then they were like, do you want to make a tiny little sequel to that tiny little movie we made in 2020 Becky? And we were like, yeah. And then we were like, shit, we should probably see Becky because we were terrible friends. <laughs> terrible friends. Terrible fun friends. And we've we actually like, done interviews where we like said we had seen it. And then we kind of started at one point being honest about it. So no, we're I'm just going to sure come off honest. like total psychopaths. No, I'm pretty sure we've been honest. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, then. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I, I think we were honest. I'm just going to go with that because that would me more comfortable. Okay. And uh, they, we were like, yes, let's do it. And then Matt was like, maybe we should watch the first one first. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. And then so we watched it. And we were like, fuck yeah. Like, good thing we said yes already. I mean, we knew, like, we would, like, Lulu Wilson, I'd watch her paint, like, something. She's so funny and captivating. She's great. Yeah. So, she has so much charisma on the screen. Yes, she does. And then some the reviews producers... have, some reviews have started rolling in. And I'm just so glad they're like, Lulu fucking Wilson, like, mm-hmm. at, like at, it just makes me so happy because she's Becky. Like, yeah, it's just, she's a star. So, so we were like, yeah, we'll do it. And then they were like, we need a script in three weeks. And uh, I found out I was pregnant and I was like, I'm not doing that. And we, like our child. And uh, and uh, um, Matt was like, I guess I could do it. And I was like, yep. And so we broke the story. <laughs> Matt wrote it in three weeks and we were shooting like two months later. I'm really glad she clarified it was our child because if, a couple of weeks ago we were in a screening for the film and during a Q&A with Sean William Scott after she kept calling it her child like my baby. She kept saying my baby. He is my baby. He's <clears> also your like baby. The way in which she said it. He's also our baby. At some point I had to mid Q&A be like <laughs> you mean like our baby right? Just like <laughs> this is what everyone knows like <laughs> yeah, yeah. curious here. Everyone knows now. Wait so you did this whole thing pregnant? Yeah. Holy cow. Like very pregnant. We were on set right as she she had just entered her third trimester when we started production, and we were like, "Oh my god!" So you were like mega pregnant. Yeah, like we got. I was actually flipping through pictures today, thinking like, "Oh, what can I post when the movie hits on Friday?" And um, it's just various adorable pictures of Suzanne like sitting on ladders in the forest with like her belly. Yeah, um, and like eating all so much food. Like he's oh, being sweet that they're adorable. We like shot in this bakery. <laughs> well, there's some that aren't adorable. Like we shot in this bakery. <laughs> she grabbed this like foot long elephant ear. What are they called? Cookie palmier or something. Palmier. Yeah, and she was just oh, like, yes. Oh my god. Yeah, she was just like eating it and like this just, most flattering picture in the world. Uh, yes, I have she no does that when have, she's not. Pregnant, yeah, I have no so fame. I don't know that. why I told that story. I, like, I would do that. I would do the same thing. <laughs> the problem is, it was like very stale, and I finished it. That's the That's difference. The difference. <laughs> you know, yeah, not preferences. Yeah, yeah. So, did you name your kid Becky? <laughs> no, but no. funny enough, at the end of the credits, the producers had the idea, and they were like, "What do you think?" And we were like, "All right, that's kind of adorable." 
uh, at the end of the credits, it says um, it's it's dedicated to our kids. It's dedicated to our son. It says for Everett uh-huh. for surviving the uh, to Everett for surviving the trenches. Or yeah, or because New Jersey is no joke, you guys. No, so. I'm, I live on the East Coast. So I agree. I, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, especially in New Jersey, all those ticks. So many ticks. Were you shooting in the summer? Yeah. Maybe. Oh, ew. Oh, you've got like the full humid too, like yeah. the full East Coast humidity. Oh, humidity. And Road eight kill, months pregnant. Roadkill like, up the yin yang everywhere you look, just dead animals. It was great. Stanky. Yeah. Stanky. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I'm 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 curious because um I, I don't want to get into too heavy of spoilers, but there is this uh kind of MacGuffin that's introduced in the first film. And in here, there's a little bit more to it. And I'm curious um, if there was, like, originally any plans for that, or is that something you guys came up with to, like, be a continuing piece through it? Or or how did that kind of get into the story? I got this one. Go ahead. We were given a mandate, like, two mandates, maybe three mandates. When we started this one, it was like, it needs to be bloody. Becky should be in it. No, I'm kidding. That wasn't a mandate. (laughs) Uh, It needs to be bloody. Becky, Rebecca. Address address the key. I think that was it. Yeah, there were two. It was like blood bloody, and key. Bloody and key. And they didn't oh. say, you got to wrap up the key. They were like, just talk about it. Well, like, bring like, it back. No, no, no. The mandate was, really? you have to answer what the key is. And so the first draft oh, of the that. script. Yeah, that's why the first draft of the script. The first like, oh, yeah. the opening of the film is like a 10 page sequence where you conclude the story from the first one in that with regards to the MacGuffin. And um, the more we kind of, realized okay a we can't afford that opening (laughs) and b more importantly this kind of device of this MacGuffin that isn't answered that pissed people off in the in the realm of wrath of becky being a little more tongue-in-cheek leaning into that and being like yeah we're still not going to do it um we'll give you a little more info but not that yeah that was very important so it was important to us that a we identify what the key is for us so we know where it's going B, we give just enough information that we lock Quiver into doing a sequel because they have no choice. You mean a third give... one? That's still a sequel. Is that a sequel? Yeah. Oh. A threequel? I don't know. Yeah. Give them just enough that we're like, this is what it all means and this is where it's going and now you're screwed. You have to do it. Um, <laughs> and C, um, I forgot C, but <laughs> but basically... Uh, we're so tired. We're sleep deprived because no, of that damn baby that child. Um, but, but basically, Mary's on muscle relaxers and like so, so and I'm exhausted. So like we're good. It's it, we're gonna get loopy. It's gonna go. weird. It's okay. Perfect. Uh, no, but it was very important to us to continue it in a tongue in cheek way. But we also know exactly what it is, and we know exactly where we want to take the story. And we do give a very, very specific clue in the film that we don't shy away from you know yeah it's it's there yeah cool oh hell yeah that's awesome i'm I'm also curious about sean william scott because uh, i i know like in the first one we you know we had um oh my god i just kevin blinked james. on his name i just keep thinking paul blart <laughs> kevin james. kevin james oh god, i just so like in my head it, it's it's paul blart <laughs> so glad me forgetting c wasn't like no like that was that was great too yeah <laughs> But uh, so in, in the first one, it was a comedian doing kind of like, you know, a more horror-y villain type role. And now we also have Sean William Scott, who, of course, is known as like Stifler and more of the comedic kind of character, although he has done more serious stuff like Goon and whatnot, um, mm-hmm. or more like anti-hero type stuff. I'm, I'm curious how he got kind of 
involved in this was was there an idea of who you kind of wanted when you were setting out to write this or yeah we knew we wanted to continue the tradition of having uh you know a comedic actor or an actor known for their comedy uh in the role of the villain and you know the process of making this film was so fast that really how it came about with Sean was his name was on a list and we were like oh that's interesting um because you just have like I don't know we just have the spidey yeah I call it like our director spidey sense where you're like there's no reason why he I can't I can't explain why I we thought he was something very something we saw his name and we were like oh that's interesting yeah like because of how we saw the character there was something very intriguing about it and then we had our initial meeting with him and he was phenomenal and brought so many great ideas to the character and was so invested from day one and this this movie's only good because everyone worked their fucking asses off from you know the Sean from Scott, Sean, Sean William Scott to our PAs like it was it was a hard movie to make there was not basically the, like this a very tiny budget and it it's kind of not the movie you can just show up and do your job and leave like it it right. needed everyone yeah. to give everything they had and they all did we have a minor in the lead role we have a dog we have stunts and squibs so you have an armor on set at all times we had special effects special effects and makeup did you say a dog already i said a dog yeah. you say that twice. Um, a dog another dog no just one <laughs> dog but uh yeah like five days with the dog so this was a ridiculously ambitious film and sean william scott showed up to that first meeting with the attitude that you need to make a film like this and that was just that attitude was just like complete commitment to the character you know you everyone we always like to say what uh, sid field says which you know, is sydney lamette oh it's sydney lamette we always get that i always get that mixed up uh, sydney lamette says which is actors are the head of their department uh that's something we really Ooh. subscribe to and you know like like any of our heads of department you treat sean them with respect scott, you listen to them yeah sean william scott lulu all the way down our whole cast they they came they they came to play and they and they showed up and they were great heads of their department yeah and like you know an actor might come to you and say i i'd really like to say it like this or i'd like to do this and the same way a production designer might say i think i think the table should be like this i think the room should be like this as a director you can disagree and you can go mm-hmm. thank you so much but no we're gonna we're gonna stick with our vision but you always hear them and i'd say like maybe 65 percent of the time we're like wow that's a great idea Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. It's there's no ego with us, and we give credit where credit is due. Like uh, Sean's character, his whole backstory and everything. He he brought that, and yeah. So there was yeah, there was like a very little on the page in terms of the backstory. And when we sat down with him, he wanted to like put that aside and go into the full military background. So uh, I mean, the, the the whole monologue that Sean William Scott has on the couch in the den was something in that first meeting he pitched us the idea for he said oh, i wow, really okay. want to do what if you know the, what was like a third of a page for the character became like a two-page monologue because he's like what if we expand upon that and he tells a story about his rather than the story he's telling in this current draft he tells the story of his military background and what we get through that story 
is his true danger, like the, the true threat that Daryl Jr. poses and the lengths he's willing to go for what to fight for what he believes in. And it was like, oh, done. Enough said. Like I went off and wrote it. And so that was our first meeting when he proposed that. And that's how he that's how he came about. You know, yeah. like it, the long winded answer to your question, I think, is important because it is a testament to how much he brought to this and how engaged he was. And it was really wonderful. How long of a shoot was this? 18, Eight, 18 days. days. Dang, you yeah. have to be committed. I mean, like, because there's not a lot of uh, time for mess ups in that. No. No. And like you were saying, it wasn't like you were just doing a little like quiet one room indie <clears throat> love story. You have like you like you like you ran down everything. Like it was like you had everything packed in from an action movie into something so small. And like that is like that is both the beauty and the goddamn trouble with indie filmmaking is like being able to do that but having to be able to do that it's crazy a big thing thing is we really wanted to elevate you know the first film is very handheld it taps a lot the the cinematography like my perception of is it tapped a lot into the protagonist kind of state of mind right Mm -hmm. you're on edge you're the home has been invaded like you're not in control Um, and for us in this, Becky's in control. Becky's going to them. She's the hunter. Yeah. And so it was very important that we evolve the cinematography in this film to a place where it was sleek and just like much way more movement and way more toys and stuff like that. And we had maybe a little more than half the budget From of the first, the first film. Yeah. So we're trying to yeah. do with so- like half of what they had, we're trying to make it look more like more like out. bigger and smoother and sleeker and higher budget. So all of that. Um, and that's a, in huge you know, part with, to our DP, Julia Swain. Yeah, Julia Swain. She just, I mean, I oh, guess. I talked to her. She's so cool. She's, she's unbelievable. Coolest. She's unbelievable. She's going to be huge. She's yeah. already, I hate to say like going to be huge because she's doing so many big things, but like she's just going to keep climbing up in this industry she's so yeah. so talented she is really good i i had noticed when i was looking at her um imdb page that she did the cinematography for for lucky um yeah. Yeah. which is another uh, that's another movie with very striking cinematography that yeah. is able to do so much with so little and i you're right she is uh, i think she's going to be a force yes yeah she is she's i know the um we love ourselves some julia she's the best asc ac uh a, yeah the american society the cinematographers yeah yeah they uh, did a feature on her as like one of the nine cinematographers to watch. So, oh dang, yeah, that's wow. so cool. Okay, so, cool. so I do want to ask about how the two of you started working together and like how this like directing writing partnership came to be. Uh, you want me to? Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we actually met in the industry. Suzanne was in development. I was working with a different writing partner. And um, this is the very short version so that we can get to like how we started working together. Cause it's a crazy, like who is like, the... it's like a Nora Ephron movie, Nora Ephron movie. But like, yeah. we don't know how to write that or I don't. Are you kidding? He I, does. I, he I could write that. the shit out of that. I love me He's a romantic a, comedy. He's a romantic comedy guy. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. fuck you, Suze. I no, feel that. I we don't know sorry, how to sorry, write sorry, that. Sorry, sorry, That's sorry. insulting. You don't. I'm like, special. blood in this movie? uh anyway so we um, we uh through a wild series of events we finally started dating four months after we had met it doesn't sound like a long time but it felt like a long time 
and uh, and she continued working in development, and I continued uh, working as a as a writer. And at a certain point, we just like we both wanted to direct, and I I think it was like well, the best way to do something is to is to like just make it happen. So we would come home from our day jobs, cook dinner, and like sit at the dinner table and write our first feature together and that was the open house and we had just gotten engaged and so like it was definitely the conversation of like is this gonna fuck up our relationship let's find out and just do it um better to find out now than before we have the wedding and we had (laughs) so much fun and it went so well that we were like okay well what do we do with the script like we we went through a couple different jumped through a couple different hoops trying to get it made in um more traditional more traditional yeah sense and and then we were like, let's do this, the the kind of like, let's just fucking do it. Let's figure it out. Um, and so it became a very low budget film. We found like $100,000, a lot of which was our money and credit cards and all of that fun. And we were like, we're going to direct this thing together. So let's really put our relationship to the test mm-hmm. um, and before we get married yeah. uh, and see if we can fuck it up. Yeah. We actually, I love to say this because it's a fascinating truth. To our story, we went to couples therapy before we ever stepped on set of the open house so that we could kind of figure out how as a couple to protect our relationship in a work environment, especially oh, wow. a stress work environment like filmmaking. That's so smart. That is and so like, smart. Like the smartest thing we've ever done. Yeah, like how we could maneuver situations that would arise. And like you go and you're like, yeah, like that sounds smart. And then things come up and you're like, oh, oh shit. Yeah, I yeah. would have like freaked if that happened I didn't know how to handle it uh or I would have dirty fought in that situation because I'd have been like fine fuck whatever you want um and then like passive aggressive or you know all those things you can't do because you'll build resentment toward each other as business partners and 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 on and on and so it was really it was foundational in our relationship as co-writer co-directors and invaluable I don't think we would yeah like we work we're we're very similar in our tastes obviously we're very different in the way we communicate so i talk 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 and matt thinks inside his head and then in my brain in your brain space and then we'll come to a conclusion with his words and i'm like i need to know how you got there you know i need i can't and so it's about like me in those moments giving grace to him like let him get there and then him going this is how i got there what do you think? You know, mm-hmm. and it's like figuring out those little intricacies. And also our number one rule being we don't ever it's that resentment thing. We never throw our hands up and go, fine, you can have this one. So, uh, like for example, if we're like shot listing a scene and I think the opening shot should be this and he thinks it should be this and we're arguing and, and this is in prep, obviously, no one has time for that shit on set. So <laughs> right. you know, we're like uh no it needs to be a close-up no it needs to be on her finger no close-up finger finger close-up finger fine Matt what if you... it's a close-up on her finger okay close-up of her face or close-up of her finger close-up of her face close-up of her finger then and I'm like fine Matt you get it you get her fucking finger and then I'm like well next time I get to pick the shot to open the next scene like that can't ex- that can't happen yeah <laughs> right right the rule is we fight argue and it's not fighting it's so fun it's like a debate club we have and- a great like we yeah. separation of work and relationship though. Like we have no problem doing dishes in our kitchen and being like, that's the fucking stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. But as long as we're talking about work, it's fine. Yeah. 
Like um, we're able to separate the two. Yeah. And then, you know, we're, and eventually, and this, we have a hundred percent success rate. Eventually one of us goes, oh, it should be on her finger. You're right. Okay. Yeah, we have to like convince the other person and there has to be why no we're ego. right. There's yeah. no ego, right? Like you're right. And it, you know, when there's no ego, it feels so good that yeah. the other person's right. It's usually like a light bulb oh. moment. Yeah. You kind of go like, oh, you're right. I get it. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and then you don't have any of that crap that uh, you carry into the next so we conversation with We also work like crazy people because in, in prep, because in low budget films, you have three weeks to prep. So we have to have all these, as many conversations as we can before we step on set, because there, like I said, there is no time to argue. Yeah. And it's yeah. also professional. So we don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's kind of a long way of saying how we met and how we work. That's awesome, though. And then we got married because we didn't kill each other. Yeah. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <Nice> kid. <laughs> that's the end of the romantic conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so okay so let's let's take it back to kind of the beginning how did you both get introduced to horror mm, okay. um mine was through my aunt well i'll go okay because yours is cooler why because we'll save the better for last okay now i'm concerned because i don't know why mine's cooler okay go ahead okay <laughs> mine uh was through my aunt we would you know, my sister and i would go over to her house for sleepovers and she's such a huge horror person and uh it would be like dead calm one night and then I wouldn't as like I'd be like six and uh I wouldn't sleep for like two weeks and my mom would be like you're god damn it like Sarah Aunt Sarah and I'd be like gotta get there and go back there and then of course I'd be like take me back there I need to watch more horror movies and then it'd be (laughs) psycho and then it would be the hand that rocks the cradle and then it would be like she's just like oh my god she just like was my yeah as a the range as a child yeah and and then she'd like read me like edward gory books and like just like she's the coolest uh she still is that is the aunt i aspire to be to all of my nieces and nephews and Uh, that's me yeah no and it was that's the parent and it was pivotal yeah it was pivotal because by 10 i was like okay i want to make those things that she's showing me and uh yeah that that was that I also had the crazy fun aunt who introduced us to films that we weren't allowed to see at home women are the best like uh scary movies really fucking yeah um scary scary movie no I was seven and she showed me scary and you mean scream no 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 no. I'm getting to scream oh okay but my point is like more inappropriate than the first scary movie when you're seven yeah. years old. Yeah. When, yeah. Well, I feel like you wouldn't understand you, any of it. You'd just be like, yeah. I don't even know what anyone is saying. I mean, <laughs> enough that when they get blasted onto the ceiling. Onto the ceiling from an orgasm. Like, like, I mean. It's not yogurt. Yeah. Ew. Did you say yogurt? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a child. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ew. Uh, um, <laughs> God. Uh, no. Okay. So my, but no, truly I have a, a wonderfully crazy aunt who we got to do things when we went to her house that like, we weren't allowed to do at home, like watch scary movies. And I was seven when she showed us scream and they lived in this apartment and like scream is like a entertaining horror comedy to me today. Right? Like there's nothing scary mm-hmm. about it, but when you're seven and you see ghost face, I mean, like, it was terrifying. And 
I remember waking, I remember vividly, I woke up in a flop sweat after we watched the movie that night and we're in our like fort, me and my two cousins on the living room floor in their apartment and my aunt and uncle are in the other room in their bed. And I was just like convinced that Ghostface was outside that window next to us in the living room. And it was just so awful. And so I went and I stood in their room and I was too scared to wake them up because I was terrified my uncle would yell at me. Oh. I just stood at the edge of their bed and which stared at them, so creepy. which was far so creepier creepy. when they woke up and yelled at me anyway, because they were like, what the fuck are you doing staring at us in our sleep? Um <laughs> And that's like the first time, I mean, I have so many memories in that age range of like terrifying experiences where I was, I, I'd see a scary movie and I, I was never sleeping in my bed ever, ever, yeah. ever. I always slept yeah. in my parents' room, but that was one that stood out to me where I remember, be, and it was especially bad because I wasn't home, right? Like you're not oh, home. Oh, that's the worst when you're not home. Yeah. You're not like yeah. familiar and with anything. You don't know where anything yeah. is. That might be oh. why it stands out so vividly, but I remember like I yeah. wasn't allowed to see it. I was like, they were like, are you sure you want to watch it? And I was like, yeah, because I'm at my aunt's and I can do that. And then yeah, I really regretted it. Did that with the first Halloween too. She was like, do you want to? You do. You do. And I'm like, trust okay. me. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was like my. The lesson is be a cool aunt. Yeah. 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 Question. How we got into horror. That's like a, ri- yeah, that's like a moment in that, in that, in the answer to that question. Yeah. But my crazy aunt also had a hand in getting me into horror because she accidentally showed me scream too when i was when she was babysitting me so there you go there you go is scream 2 the one that starts in the movie theater yeah 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 gotta rewatch terry what were you saying i'm sorry i cut you off with my crazy so i did it did it it kind of sounded like have you did you see scary movie before you saw scream no okay i was like that would be wild no (laughs) no i i had seen scream first i actually saw scary movie I remember they had moved into a different house when I saw Scary Movie, so it had to be a couple of years later. Okay, because um, I, I just yeah. you're traditional. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I mean, that first Scary Movie is basically Scream. I just you know with a whole lot yeah, more jokes. Yeah. So like it would have been, that would have been wild to a lot more to see other. the thing that it's it's that's parodying the thing. So I just that was yeah. More <laughs> oh, yogurt. Shame. Oh no. Um, I can't wait till your kid one day stands at the foot of your bed like that yeah, and yeah. creepily wakes you up. You're gonna get revenge. Some he's gonna they're gonna accidentally get revenge on you one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. My parents always were so mean. They they we always went to scary movies opening night, packed theater. That was oh true. shit. That was truly what got me into into not only film was that we were always at the movie theaters, but um but horror in particular was it's the experience that was very Most much memorable. like memorable to me of being a kid opening night sold out crowd horror films they were always an experience like i'll never forget the ring um mm-hmm. you know but my but like the ring my dad turned the tv on to static so that when i woke up to pee in the middle of the night the tv was just on snow um when we <laughs> saw the grudge my mom bought a white dress and a wig and crawled into my room going like uh like i mean no my, when my what? when my sisters went and saw screen three my parents took me and we all drove down and moved their car with a spare key in the middle of the movie so that when they came out to the parking lot at 11 p.m their car was gone like <laughs> oh my god that was my parents like that's i we still do this shit to each other so that was um that was very i mean oh my god when we saw descent like i like 
figured out a way to get behind my dad at, uh, when he was watching the 11 o'clock news eating his cereal and like did the sound and it scared the shit out of him and he like jumped up with his cereal bowl I mean, oh like my god you your family is my worst nightmare like it was always like fun like we took the experience of the film home with us that was mm. the thing about horror that I there that, that stuck with me so cool Okay, did it, so did it scare you after the movie? Like, did you did were you a scared kid when you watched all these horror movies, or did you get kind of get time. used to them all the time? All the time, I couldn't watch. All like, time. one movie I was terrified of was Signs. Like, I yeah. like Signs. Fuck that movie! That yeah, movie yeah. is so scary. Alien. I was terrified. I mean, when I saw that film, I don't even know how old I would have been, but I was terrified. That movie terrified. is very scary. You scared the shit yeah, out of me. The movie really well scared filmed. the shit out of me. I was always scared. I was a very scared kid. Mm -hmm. But before we get into the um, Suzanne's movie, what movie has truly scared you recently that you've seen? What was the last movie to really scare you? Get under your skin. I got. Yeah, you got. You got it. You take this one. I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity to see it yet as critics and and journalists, but uh, talk to me. I got to see Act One. Have you guys yeah, seen we it? Saw, we saw that at Sundance. Yeah. Okay, so I saw it at uh, Overlook in New Orleans. Oh, cool. I haven't been affected by a movie like that in a very, very, very long time. He called me and he was like, I think I need to get on the plane and come home. She was here with our son <laughs> and I was in New Orleans at the festival representing like, us for this. Becky. And I just, I was halfway through the movie and I needed it to let go. Like I needed it to let me go. Yeah. I needed it to be over. And I have not felt like that since I was a kid. Like it, there is oh, some shit. so dark about that movie. It just, I, I tell everyone you have to go see it. You have to go see it in a the theater. And at the same yes. time, I will never watch it again. Like I, I just can't. I can't wait to see it in a theater. Cause I Me watched too. it on my computer or on my computer and I need to see it in a theater. Cause that, I mean, it's scary as shit, but I want, I want like the full big screen. It's experience. a visceral experience. It's like, it goes for your throat. It knows what yeah. to do. And I, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I watched it on like my, my home TV, but I was like, man, this would be a fantastic theatrical experience. So I'm glad it's getting one because boy, that movie kicked me in the butt. <laughs> it's fucked What's up. the Korean horror film you just watched? Oh, um, go, go Jim Asylum. Or go oh my God. Go, go and jam, jam onto the Asylum. That oh, movie's yeah. another fucked up movie. Yeah, that movie's yeah, fucking It's so scary. That movie does What's some... the close-up, which is like... Oh, my God, like no. Or the hands. Yeah. The hands that come the behind. Hands. Oh, God. They come out of nowhere. You know it doesn't, like... You know what? Like, horror films basically at this point, in my mind, like, can't reinvent the wheel. Okay, that's not, like, fair. But, like, we have so much... There's so much now, and I still mm -hmm. don't... Like I don't need anything. To it takes, like it takes amazing. a lot to reinvent. It takes that. a lot, and like tropes exist for a reason. Just don't be like yeah. dumb with them. Um, and like I didn't, I wasn't getting like watching this. Like oh, another found footage. Like is gonna scare me. I've seen that a bunch. Like it's, and it did, and it did, and it did, and it did. For me, it was the scene where she's in the room with all the like cement pillars alone, mm -hmm. and that thing is just like staring in the distance. But what was so brilliant about it is they didn't do the whole like like four times you're with her and as she looks, we look and it hasn't moved. And you're like, oh, my God, in any other film, 
they would have like a studio would have been like we needed to go faster has to move closer and like Mm -hmm. has to move closer every time we cut that's scary and it's like no no we've seen that a million times what makes this so scary is that it doesn't fucking move closer and you're like oh it's just not happening I don't that that I'm getting was... stressed just thinking about that part too. I know. Ooh, that movie is so scary. Or, or or how about the dark and the wicked? Oh, that one. Is, yeah. <gasps> oh, Bertina. That one is. Uh, I watched. I, bleak. I had a. I I watched it and then I had a fun time of being like, let's see if I can watch this in the maximum scariest potential situation, which was in. I was dog sitting for my friend in their creepy old house. Uh, turned off all the lights, put on noise canceling headphones, and I took an edible. <laughs> that sounds like a yes, nightmare. that sounds like a nightmare. That sounds like a nightmare. But I was and that same fucking night, something happened in the house that I cannot explain, and they still have not been able to explain. So it was just like it was. Ba- I I really I I did it to myself, but boy oh boy, was that and horrific. This is like that's another movie where you're like, I've seen that type of movie before. I've seen it a bunch. Yeah. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's old, like it's so scary. It's really well done. It was so well done and bleak, 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 bleak. Mm. So yeah. bleak. He's, yummy. He's like, you think the strangers is bleak? Let me let exactly. me let me do this one. Yeah. Strangers yeah. like commercial like fun. And this was like I mean, I had fun with this too. Yeah, but you were like, what? It was, <laughs> yeah, it was fucked up. Yeah, but nothing. I should. I need to watch it again, actually. But talk to me, just nothing. Nothing has permeated like talk to me in a long time. Okay, I'm excited. Slash not I can't excited wait to, to take watch her, it, but I don't know if I can watch it again. But she needs to see it. He's so. gonna stand outside the. You can sit like, like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey. When you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. Well, okay. Let we are now going to move on to talking about Su- Suzanne slash Matt's pick, but mostly Suzanne's pick. Uh, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? The unbelievable classic that we all love, Rosemary's Baby. Yes. Hell yeah. Okay. So in Rosemary's Baby, a young couple trying for a baby moves into an aging ornate apartment building on Central Park West where they find themselves surrounded by peculiar neighbors. Yes. All right. So I want to know how how old were you when you saw this, Suzanne? What why is this your scarred for life pick? Give us all the details. Tell us your horror story. Well, it was my aunt. <laughs> Hell yeah. Surprise. I I was a little bit older. I was like 10. So you know, I've seen this movie now probably over 10 times, but easily. Oh, yeah, anytime like we're about to direct something, we just watch a movie. But as a kid, like Matt was just talking about the feeling that Talk to Me gave him. And 
I, I have no idea what that movie's about other than there's a hand. But in Rosemary's Baby, the feeling I remember having as a child was that it was violent, but there was no violence, right? There's really no violence in the movie, but like it felt so violent in like that it like violated me in some ways. And obviously she gets very violated in the movie. Um, I remember specifically getting through the ordeal of watching that movie as a child and then being like, they don't show the baby? Like, what? what's wrong? What is wrong with that baby that they don't show this baby? Like, there's must be, if this movie can't show that baby, that is one fucked up baby. You know what I mean? Like we went through all this <laughs> to not see that. Um, and, but it was very powerful to me um, that it's more interesting not to show things um, is ultimately what I took away from it. I don't think at 10, I was like, well, this is more interesting. Um, I was just like, it maybe took me 10 years to realize that. But that, I remember that moment where everyone's so happy and then she just screams looking into the bassinet. That, that really, that really, that, that very much scarred me. Um, and then as I got older and I started to learn about the movie and how they, how Polanski shot it and, um, it just blew my mind. So I can talk about that too. But, uh, in terms of the one scene that fricked me up, it would be the, you can say fuck to it. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, fucked me up is the baby, the baby in the bass, the devil in the bassinet. The moment. What a fantastic moment. Cause I'll tell you, Mia Farrow does such a great job in that moment, just when it's on her and then you see the like look looming, like shock in her eyes. And she's like, what have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? It's like, Oh, it's very fine. Especially just having had a baby when like, it's not easy giving birth to a baby. (laughs) I'm so, so scary. The way that they're all just standing there, like, so like their job's done unaffected. They're not like, Oh shit. She's here for the finger sandwiches, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's just so cold. And you're like, what is happening right now? Like something about how, Oh, and the, the betrayal by the husband. Like Mm, to me, the most horrific things come by way of human error or human, you know, not error, but like betrayal, like all those things. Like, Mm-hmm. ghosts are scary demons are very scary all those things are scary but like your husband betraying you so you could get raped by the devil so he could get be famous pretty fucked pretty up scary pretty fucked yeah, up yeah it's pretty fucked up i would yeah. say yeah pretty fucked up so you can have an acting career yeah, yeah. That's, that's bleak bleak <laughs> Yeah. Uh, how, when did you see it, Matt? Have you, uh, had, was this like a, a movie you saw as a kid or did you see it later in life? I was probably 12 or 13 when I saw it. So I was okay. still, I'm still young, but it, I, I was at an age where it didn't scar me. Like mm-hmm. uh-huh. I saw the exorcist when I was, well, funny. I saw the exorcist when I was 12 for the first time and it still scarred me like that terrified me at 12. Um, but there was something very, uh, See, that's it's so- the psychological nature of it and the very um, intellectual like nature of Polanski's Rosemary's Baby that yeah. I just wanted to like eat it up. Like mm-hmm. it, it was just, it was such a study in film to me. Um, and I think that's what has stuck with me uh, in the 20 years or whatever since I've seen it and why I watch it over and over and over again. Um, 
and why we pull from it in films. You know, um, there's like a character in our first film, The Open House, that was very much inspired by the female neighbor. The main yeah, the other, um, uh, Minnie. Minnie, yeah. Minnie. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, it didn't, I wouldn't say it scarred me. It scared me in human ways, right? But, and I was a little older, but um, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's a perfect film. Yeah, it is a it is a perfect film, even though John Cassavetti disagrees. I mean, there's so much drama, like so much film history in that movie, too. Like he John Cassavetti's just butted heads with uh, Polanski so much. But he said I think he said like, uh, what did he say? Roman Polanski is an artist, but Rosemary's Baby is not a work of art, which is such crazy. To oh, me. I mean, shit. Which is like, and it's and it's because he they're like completely two different directors, and they just butted heads and like whatever. But um, one of the most famous moments to come out of that film, and it's something I think every great filmmaker since has has tapped into, whether consciously or subconsciously, is where you're looking at her on the phone uh, through the doorways, through the doorframe, but you can't see her. She's just off. She's just behind one of the one of the Satanists. Yeah, and. and Polanski knew that if you sat in the back of the theater in that moment, when the movie played, you'd be able to see the audience lean their bodies as if to try and see around the doorframe. Oh, fuck. And okay. sure enough, it's exactly what happened. When he sat in the film the first time, the audience tried subconsciously to see be over. And it's just like during dailies. About- I think they were showing it during dailies and even like the executives did that. Yeah. And it's just like, talk about wow. putting you like, sucking you into a movie but again it goes back into showing not what you're showing and what you're not showing is what you're not showing is just as important as what you're showing so a woman who's sitting on the edge of the bed taking a phone call and you can you can you know she's taking a phone call but you can't see her you just see her you know her bottom half um is much more interesting than seeing her on the phone fully on the phone um and you know as i got older i figured out how they shot it and it's those wide angle lenses. I mean, they shot everything with an 18 millimeter and a 25 millimeter lens, except for the opening shot of the Dakota building. And, you know, uh, Polanski had just come from Europe, you know, uh, shooting in Europe and he, they weren't as, you know, there's not, it's not a studio system like there was, is here. And so, you know, they, I think that, first one of the shot the handheld shot of Mia Farah walking down the um street and it's handheld and uh the DP William what's his last name famous 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 uh Fraker I think he uh you know set up the shot and they put like a 40 millimeter lens on and they put a put a nice like diffusion on her and she looked all beautiful and uh uh, Polanski was like, no, 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 like put that wide angle lens back on. And, and they were like, well, this is our star. You make her look beautiful. Like we got to make her look delicious. And he was like, no, no, no. She's walking towards the building. The building needs to literally with the wide angle lens, I need it to curve like it's coming oh, wow. over. So, and that's that European sensibility, less concerned with how the star looks and you know which is a very hollywood baby mm-hmm. type thing and he just didn't subscribe to that and i thought it it was my obsession with it started my obsession with wide angle lenses um because and then you know the production Ooh. designer and all the walls in those in the apartments were wild they they can move all of them and oh, because wow. the because oh. the lenses, yeah because the lenses were so wide you couldn't put 
lights on the floor because you could see them. So the walls were, the, uh, the DP was able to light the walls and then move the, the source lights under them, which now of course oh. is standard, but then was- Yeah, now they yeah. do it all the time, but it's like- Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because he came back from, from Europe because um when I first saw this, I didn't really think about the, the filmmaking and this yeah. isn't a movie I-, I I don't know why I don't always walk, go to this movie. I think my, this might just be the second time I've ever seen it, which mm-hmm. is weird to me. But like when I first saw it, um, and I'll tell that story a little bit later. But like when I first saw it, I wasn't thinking about the technique behind it. And now that I have like a lot more film history behind me and I'm watching this, I'm like, this feels like an Italian horror film. Yeah, like it is. A, yes. this, the the music that the way it opens up with that lullaby song that is just it's so like yeah. off putting. Mm-hmm so off-putting if it, it reminds me of like some italian horror movies like particularly from like bava or from like dario argento that would later do that like this sort of like that kind of era of the the swooping cameras the the wide angle the just it, it doesn't feel like an american made film even though it is american and so it, it's it's wild to me that that um when you when you get to revisit a film and see all the things either a that influenced it or the things that it was kind of pulling from um or yeah. the things that it in self influenced it's, it's yeah. really cool and we, and we love foreign horror films i mean they were like the motivation behind our first film the open house we wanted to make something that was just like very raw and bleak because <laughs> we love stuff like that um michael henneke suzanne can speak to yeah, he's my, being favorite, her my favorite, favorite director. director. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. Oh, really? Because, uh, I mean, oh. for me, my, my Michael Haneke draw was when I saw Funny Games for the first time. I hated it so much <laughs> and realized 48 hours later. But now later, you watched some Funny Games, right? Yeah, it. I saw the remake yeah. first. Okay, you saw the remake. Okay. And then I went back and watched the original, but I hated it so much. And I realized 48 hours later, I still couldn't get over how much I hated it. And I realized then that was good filmmaking. Like, it affected me so viscerally. And why did I hate it? Because when you kill someone behind a couch and I can't see who the fuck it is and you don't show me for three minutes and all I can hear is a screaming mother, I'm like, fuck you, man. Like, show me what's going on behind the couch. And then I realize, oh, that's brilliant. Um, so it was very, it, it was kind of a a big moment in my in my life in terms of my love for cinema. Um, and it was the moment I really fell in love with Michael Haneke and then went back and started watching his work. Um, and I think with Open House, we were like, let's kill everyone and just piss everyone off. Yeah. And unfortunately, we succeeded for for better or worse. Yeah, yeah we did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when did you see this, Mary Beth, for the first time? Sorry, I'm just looking up. The piano teacher, really quick. Oh, I that's Han- that's Haneke, right? That is Haneke? Yeah, yeah, I love okay. it. Man, I that was a movie I thought I hated and then realized I actually loved it. Um, See, that's, what he does. that's what he does. That's what he does. Yeah, I went down a Haneke rabbit hole and it was just like, I hate you, but I really like you and I know what you're doing. And it's infuriating and exhausting, but really smart. Like his style, he just sets the camera up. And lets you like, and you know, you're left to your own devices. He just has you watching with like ballsy. a ballsy. He has you watching with like a furrowed brow until all of a sudden you're like, what the fuck? Like yeah. that's what. Hen- yeah, exactly. You're like, okay, yeah, what? And then you're just like, wait, I don't want to look at this anymore. And he's like, too bad, too bad. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, 
but the first time I saw this, so I actually saw this for the first time when I was in college. Um, I lived in the um, the winter, the winter, the women and gender studies housing. So of course I did. And so we had to have like mandatory events, like to justify us like living there and having special housing that we didn't have to pay for. Um, so we would have all of us were horror movie fans. We would like have horror movie nights and have discussions. And this was one of the movies, and I had never seen it actually. And one of my friends was like, "Holy, she going to see Rosemary's Baby?" And I was like, "Yeah, but isn't Roman Polanski a, a weirdo?" And she's like, "Yeah, that was my first experience, like really big experience of like trying to separate art from artists and like that kind of thing, like discussion too." When I was in college, which was like a really interesting exercise as someone who was like one of the very first times I was like fully aware of someone being a bad person, but also admiring their art and like really like kind of um, coming to terms with that. Yeah. But because I I loved this. I loved this movie because I was so surprised. Again, like everything you guys said, but it's so much slower. And I don't mean that as a bad thing necessarily, but it's a long movie. And like I was, I'm, I was used to like much shorter horror movies. This is like over two hours long, and it's such a fascinating slow burn. And I think it was just like everything about it, and everything about like what it says about motherhood and patriarchy. And we've seen it all before, but this movie sets it up. Like this is this is like the blueprint. I think you've already said that so many movies have followed. Like yeah, we've seen a lot of Rosemary's Babies, but it's because of Rosemary's Baby and like what this film did to like shape an entire genre, which is insane. You know, isn't that like fucking wild? Like you make a movie and you just inherently completely change the trajectory of a genre like well yeah not that's just like the, galaxy brain level crazy to me just like yeah not wild. just because in this came out in 1968 yeah at the time if i'm remembering correctly like easy rider had come out right before that and movies were having this like they were doing less of the big musical gaudy thing and tv was getting yeah. very popular and so studio heads were like we need to start making stuff that they can't see on TV. And mm. they had broadcast. I mean, I think we still have broadcast rules. Do we have broadcast? I don't know. But yes. um, they definitely had, right, 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 right. We, they definitely had broadcast rules back then. And you like basically couldn't kill anyone. And you definitely couldn't kill them the way Polanski was killing them. You couldn't have any nudity or any sex or anything like that. And so they were, they started to like make these indie smaller films that ended up being commercial successes and like would throw, you know, Plancy was like 35 when he made, or 34 or something when he made Rosemary's Baby. So they were taking some risks and it's kind of the beginning of not indie filmmaking per se, but like, you know, uh, just, just different filmmaking and, you know, mm-hmm. letting, letting artists take risk risks on a larger scale um and people showed up to to watch those movies because they were successful so. and like night of the living dead came out i know it's like a, it wasn't as big but like that's a similar time period of like the like kind of exactly. scrappy indie exactly. and texas chainsaw massacre was a couple years later and i know it's all genre but it is like this kind yeah, of scrappy yeah. way of making movies mm-hmm. and i mean and it's so funny you're talking about that because I feel like something similar is happening now. It's not that they're ha- it's not like they're they're invented, but there's like a resurgence in indie stuff. Yes, now, yes, there is, which is interesting. Studios make big ass movies, and that's basically it. 
Yeah, I think is that, what it feels like as it, indie filmmakers. That's the age yeah. Of, it's the age yeah. of blockbusters, right? So um, there's blockbusters. I should clarify, like there's blockbusters and then there's superhero movies. It's the age of superhero movies. And it feels yeah. like the age of superhero starting, movies. feels like there's some fatigue coming or happening. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fatigued and I. Oh, I'm so it. fatigued. Like I, I was at every opening night of every Marvel movie for a number of years. And now I don't. Oh, see wow. That. Um, yeah. Now I don't see them anymore because I don't care. Like I just don't care. I don't. I, Aside don't from fun. Guardians of the Galaxy, which I saw because I love James Gunn, um, I it's been a very long time since I've seen a Marvel movie in a movie theater. Yeah, yeah I, Endgame I think was the last one I saw in a movie theater. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's a different right. time, yeah. and I think there are a lot of really exciting independent creative voices breaking through. Um, and also, people want to go back you know theaters like disappeared because of the pandemic pandemic and people want to go back for specific things it feels like and genres and genre is one of them mm-hmm. and it, it's always been that way i mean horror horror will it's never that a communal experience yeah exactly. it's that it's that event yeah. talking yeah, about as connected. a kid we're like you want that experience going to a film right now because you didn't get it for so long and we need that escapism and, and the that. connection like it is so easy to connect with people over horror films yeah absolutely well imagine seeing rosemary's baby in theaters yeah. like you know, know. everybody right when it comes out like what that experience like must have been like like that must have just been wild because I, I mean again that we didn't have like crazy long trailers that gave everything away it's just like what are we about to experience like i can only imagine what that was like Really weird. Pooped their pants. Oh my god! I want to make. I want to make a movie so badly, and like having the contract before you start. You the trailer can't be longer. Never happens. I said I want, not I'm going to. (laughs) Like can't be longer than one minute. You can't show anything past the halfway point. Like that's it. I just want to. No. I remember the first trailer for a movie that was so bad. Um, I mean, look, I love Spielberg, but artificial intelligence was awful, and um. I remember the first trailer for AI was so exciting because we were like, we don't know what it's about. This is amazing. You don't know what AI is about? It's literally AI. You've never even seen the movie. Yes, I have. I have. I have actually seen that one Spielberg movie. Yes, I have. Okay. Um, I have, I have. But I just remember, I I, I love the feeling of seeing a trailer that is a teaser because you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's how I felt watching Barbarian. Like the, I was like, I when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, this is giving away too much. And then you watch the movie, it's like, no, this is only giving you like a teaser moment. And that's like the first time I've seen a trailer was like, I'm walking in and I really don't know what this is going to be about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good trailer, good movie. Yeah, I had such a, a weird journey to watch Rosemary's Baby for the first time because um, I... I grew oh, okay. up. I remember seeing. Well, I remember seeing the 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 picture of that's like you know the poster that we see all the time in like blockbuster or Hollywood, and everyone's talking about scariest movie of all time. It didn't really ever interest me, and so like mm-hmm. I never really watched it. But I was a, okay. This is this is where it gets tricky. I was a huge fan of Nicole Kidman. I was a yes. Nicole Kidman oh day. God. I was like, I love her so much. And so when Stepford Wives was coming out, I wanted to read the book. And so I read Ira Levin's book, Stepford Wives, in order to prep for the movie. And after I read it, I was like, this is a really good book. Ira is a really good writer. Oh, he wrote Rosemary's Baby? I'm going to go read Rosemary's Baby. And so then I sat down and I read Rosemary's Baby. And I was like, okay, I got to finally see this movie. And I don't remember how old I was. I was probably, it would have been like in my 20s. Yeah. Um, I'd have to go look at when 
um, the Stepford Wives remake came out, but it was around that time. And I was, I remember watching this movie and being just on edge the entire time. And it was the way the camera was capturing everything. And once we get to like the, the, the finale and there's, as you had mentioned, there's all these people just sort of milling about and they're just like pretending, acting as if there's nothing wrong here as Rosemary is stuck and like just startled walking in on everyone celebrating and sees the black bassinet and the cross upside down and the way the camera captures it in particular her face i just remember that image has been seared in my head for the last i don't know 20 years maybe from whenever that that uh stuff came out but i just remember thank you nicole thinking, kidman thank you nicole yeah, kidman. seriously all because of my love for nicole kidman that's an incredible journey to like rosemary's baby yeah that's amazing yeah um I think we're talking about the runtime of Rosemary's Baby. I think that's because he was like so, uh, Polanski stayed so true to the book. He did, like, absolutely. Oh, book. he did. Okay. I actually had, I was going to ask if anyone had read it. And No, I, I haven't read it either. Now I, now I want to. Now I want to. It's a really yeah. good book. And uh, it's this is a very, very faithful adaptation of it. Um, I, I would say that it basically covers the entire book. It's um, yeah. from what I remember, yeah. it's been a long time since I've read it, but I just remember being really impressed because there's been a lot of times where I, I've been so in love with a book because I, I kind of grew up reading. I became an, I was an English major. I, reading is like huge mm-hmm. for me. And so I, I would read a whole lot of books in like the 90s when my parents were a little bit more strict on what I could see in the movie theater. So I just, I found my escapism in, in books. And mm-hmm. I just, I just remember being so upset when I would read a book and I loved it. And then I would see an adaptation and it cut out like my favorite scene or whatever. And I would watch this and I'm like, Ooh, this is actually capturing the essence of this book so incredibly well. Yeah. I think that's most adaptations, unfortunately. Yeah. It's fine. But and like, you know, it's hard to make a, it is hard. Movie, but, but it's just a test a further testament to Polanski and what he did with that film yeah and also that they let him I was gonna say that they let him yeah yeah because he was just a European filmmaker a kid essentially yeah different I mean, times different times yeah I uh I I love that movie so much I I love every aspect of it down to like the lipstick mini wears like the neighbor like it's just I love the neighbors and I love like when we first meet the neighbors when it's like this tragic death of the woman Terry Mm -hmm. staying with them and they just come waltzing down the street in these like bright outfits like the camera like they're and again with the wide angle lens and just like the camera sticking there and you see these like bright like light not lights but like beacons down coming down the street and like minnie's got like we call it clown makeup with like exactly. the, the blo- yeah, like yeah, unblended yeah. blush blue eyeshadow but also she's just like very confident and we don't see a lot of older couples like this in horror movies too you know what i mean like we don't get yeah. these cool old horror villains and yeah i love that because that's what's so scary there like we always think of the elderly as weak and like unsuspecting yeah. and like they're the ones that when you have the devil on the side <laughs> yeah. like under oh she's just it, i love them as villains like there's ter- they're absolutely terrifying and like one of the most sinister villains in horror but i just like the, their presentation and making them look so garish and crazy and then having them be these like terrifying orchestrators of rosemary's fucking raped by the devil i mean come on it's just so good it's just, so good and i can't go back to i have to i always circle back to the husband and i'm like why did you fucking do that man 
acting man acting careers are hard you it's gotta hard. you gotta do what you gotta do you know yeah. that's what that's what jumped out at me on this on this watch is is how much of a dick guy is and for when you first meet him the the way that like he is sort of when, when they're being shown the apartment he's sort of like mocking the guy that's like showing them and he's asserting his aggressiveness like he's standing in the doorway and he just like scoots on by giving him a look up and down it's so it's so aggressive it's so patriarchal it's so like condescending yeah. and i just like ooh, even before this bad shit happens you are not a good guy guy yeah exactly i wonder like i just had this i wonder if they named him guy as like a very i think it was probably a popular name back then well, it's, it's just based on the book. it's the kind of thing like polanski would do but it's based on the book so it'd be right that's yeah. true I still yeah. would love though if they named him Guy just to have him be like that guy. Yeah, because he's such <laughs> he's such a douche. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And again, really like is. we're playing with those tropes of like she's kind of like the quiet woman, and he is like the overpowering man. But I do, and I, I think Polanski is still diving into a lot of really interesting stuff here, especially in 1968 with like toxic masculinity and motherhood and patriarchy, and it's. It's like, you know, we can say now, like, oh, this is like totally not like up to our standards now. But this is from fucking 1968, where like this was not. And again, like it's it feels very European and what it's trying to get at with a lot of this stuff. And it's just really that, just a like, yeah. fascinating artifacts of like that time and what horror movies are and we're going to become. I have to rewatch it. Yeah, it's, it's so been good. like five years, which is way too long. It's so good. This is making me want to watch it so badly. Yeah. And, and it's just a bummer that he's such a massive piece of shit. Yeah. Piece of shit. Like, thanks for that. I mean, we're not the victims, but like, he's just, just a real bummer. It's a real it's fucking a, it really bummer. Is. It really is. It really is. Baby was one of a trilogy, right? Yeah. Reven- what was the first one? Repercussion or Revenge or Repulsion? Repulsion. Repulsion. Repercussion. Can you imagine this movie? Repercussion. <laughs> they're gonna reprimand you i think i'm a total loser and i haven't no, seen we, the other two. we saw it a long time ago he it's a very similar when I we were riding it, up in house yeah i think it's a very it. similar premise they're all like they call it like the apartment trilogy, the apartment trilogy, right, right? Yeah. oh apartment. that's right i was trying to remember what the name was yeah and i love the and i love the apartments in this fucking yeah. movie man no, play the wine like, like, cl- they just make the hallways yes. feel squishy yeah, it's so good. It's like this is what I think of when I think of like a classic new like crazy New York apartment. You know what I mean? Like a 1968 movie like this is just like this is what apartments used yeah, to look like. When she has when they have their first like housewarming party and the way they film it, where like even their friends, the way he films, even their friends are like don't seem like they no one seems like they belong. Yeah. And everything feels off. And she gets so pregnant. It's so it's so good. I need to watch it again too. Oh god, I just feel so uncomfortable with her as she gets pregnant. Everything is so claustrophobic, and everything about this movie is like just so uncomfortable. Like you feel like nothing. It's like not nothing truly like terrifying. No, happens, exactly. but it's like this atmosphere, like this just this, this yeah. purely rancid vibe, like a perfectly rancid curated vibe. You know, you know what it is. It's the ultimate study in dread. Like mm. it, it goes to yeah, show. Yeah, okay. My favorite, I think that's why it's one of my favorite horror films, and it's the same with um, The Shining in a lot of ways, where it is like such a study in the art of dread and what how scary dread can be. 
because it doesn't need to be that something in particular is happening. It could just be holding on something too long. It could just be yeah. pushing on something. It, it It's so, it, when it's done correctly, it can be so effective in such an invasive way. And to me, that's the unexpected because it's subconscious. So it sticks with you. It's far more unexpected. And we talked about Henneke a little bit, right? Like it's far more unexpected and how it's horrifying than a jump scare. Yeah. And it's not the entertaining kind of horror. It is the uh, very like intellectual kind of horror. And so that to me is what Rosemary's Baby or The Shining or Cachet or Funny Games, like that's what those films do to me. Yeah, And I think they stick with me for far longer than just the other side of the coin, which is movies I fucking love. And that's like, like um, true genre slasher film, like stuff like that. Like it's a different mm-hmm. side of the, of the, um, of the genre. And I just, yeah, I, I love that you can in one genre fit in so many different things, so many different things. Yeah. I love that he doesn't let us off the hook. Like a lot of times you would see this sort of dread build and then there'd be a jump scare or something to release the tension then and reset but he doesn't do that in this there's literally no real like jump out moments to reset the tension it just is for two hours and 17 minutes just this feeling of dread that is just growing in your stomach along with the womb with the baby in her womb it's just like growing to that point where it's like we're not going to let you off the hook i'm not going to i'm not going to be easy on you and i think that's why this movie kind of even though this was the first time last night that i watched it in about 20 years it just it's still like I remembered specific scenes from it. I remember the way it made me feel. It just it brings you back to that tangible moment of seeing it for the first time. And I I there's not a whole lot of movies that can do that, I don't think. No, and also like the col- the color palette, the mm. production design, the wardrobe, the costume design, like the very pastel-y uh nature of rosemary, um, pixie girl, you know, like all that, and then yeah. like just the the production design of like the beds and the everything and how like it just all it's not what you think of when you think of a horror film mm-hmm. you know yeah well even say in the credits like miss pharaoh styled by videl sassoon yeah, like yeah. it was like a fashion commercial almost yeah. and i mean like she's a star i mean she looks like twiggy or like has that twiggy yeah, vibe does, like yeah. that mod vibe i mean i even got my hair cut like her at the pixie cut at the end i got my hair cut like her when i was in college i was like there is no cooler woman than Mia Farrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that's great. It's, you know, so I was, I was looking up cause I was curious about um, Ira Levin and I was looking up his relationship to the movie and of course the book. And I did find this, this interesting quote where he said in 2002, I feel guilty that Rosemary's baby led to the exorcist, the omen, a whole generation has been exposed, has more belief in Satan. I don't believe in Satan, and I feel that strong fundamentalism we would we would not ha- we we have would not be as strong if there hadn't been so many of these books. Of course, it didn't send back any of the ro- royalty checks, <laughs> but like <laughs> it's it's so funny. But like it's it's true that this movie kind of set into uh, this the book and the movie both yeah. kind of set into uh, our path of evangelicalism in the seventies yeah. and this fear of of Satan and this fear of like end of the world and Armageddon all kind of started with this movie and then would go on to being the exorcist and the omen and all of the type of movies that were coming out in the seventies that were tackling kind of religious horror that would fuel end of times topics for the last 40 years. It's, it's wild to me that, that you can kind of trace it back almost to this film and this book being such a, a big 
uh, cultural experience. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, to this day, exorcism films are like guarantees, right? Like, like when when you're a studio exec and you're pitched an exorcist film, you're like, yeah, let's do it because you know, like you're going to get your money back. I mean, there's such a, there's such an obsession around uh, religious horror films. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the fact that something like Rosemary's Baby could be the catalyst for that subgenre within horror is it, it's just a testament to what a powerful film it is. It just it also reminded me reading that quote about what kind of Peter Benchley would say about Jaws later, like how he wishes he hadn't written it because it's done oh, more yeah. harm to sharks than than he could have imagined it it being. And so it's just like poor sharks. I know. I love I love sharks, but it's just it's that sort of like that hits that moment and then it sparks this absolute fear in people and then to see sort of like how that kind of snowballs is is fascinating looking at it with, you know, 40 or 50 years of of distance between it. Yeah. God, you said the omen. That brought back some. I saw that movie when I was really young. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It's a good so movie. Good. That was so good. fucking good. And that one's bleak. Just think about bleak. That's a bleak ass movie. The thing about the omen that I didn't remember until we rewatched a few years back was how incredible that movie is with no CGI. If you made that movie today, the all, all the monkeys would be CGI. When you watch that sequence, you're like, how did they do this? Okay, all I can think about is how many monkeys were abused and injured in the process. Well, way to make it bleak. I'm sorry. Speaking I'm sorry. Bleak, Animals I'm were not treated. Cor- I mean, no one was treated correctly. Oh, still, gosh, we're all on strike. Awful. But like, you know, especially the monkeys. I don't even want to know where they found those those baboons or were they baboons? Something like that. Yeah, they were baboons. Baboons. Yeah. yeah. Scary ass baboons. <laughs> When you watch that movie today, it's very commercial. Like the way it's shot mm-hmm. is so cinematic and commercial. There's nothing um like European about the way that film is shot. It's really, it's really incredible. Um Love and it movie. holds up. It really holds up. It does hold up. The the effects are still really good. Uh I mean I, that line, it's all for you, Damien. Just like <sighs> I can't walk under in my head. I can't walk under a church anymore without going, hey, like what Suzanne, why hey, she's like, I know the omen. Get it. The omen, I know, yep. I get it. I'm like, but like, the end. The every end time I see a photo, if there's like a weird line or something, I'm like, oh my God, is this for tell that's like yeah. wow. Um, well, is there anything that we want to hit on before we wrap up and give this our rating out of five? I know there's a million and ten things we could talk about with this movie but we'll be here forever if we suck. There's one thing that I had a, real, uh, a realization on, on on this watch, and it's because, again, I had not seen this movie in so long, but boy, Hereditary really cribs from this ending. I love Hereditary. I think Hereditary is, is, a, is a masterpiece of a film, but I'm watching this, and when they're saying, God is dead, mm-hmm. Satan lives, the year is one and God is done, I'm like, this is pretty, and they're all saying, "Hey, oh, Satan!" I'm like, "This is Hail Pyman all over." Like, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that, and I'm like, "Oh, I see what we're kind of doing with this finale now that I've revisited this this movie." It's it's wild how much this movie is like I didn't influenced. Huh. Even like uh, the 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 nineteen ninety something movie with Keanu, The Devil's Advocate, yeah. is basically Rosemary's Baby told from the husband's perspective almost. Oh, that she is her influence lingers. See. She's everywhere, Rosemary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to think about like I was thinking today. I was like, I oh, wonder like yeah. after like the movie ends, like because I'm a new mom. Like, what did she do? Was she like? I was just, I was you know, wondering. And when you started talking about the black 
carriage and that's, but that's I actually the thing. know it's like, what all she right, this, that's would do it. because she's a mom. She's like, well, I'm a fucking kid now. This little devil. <laughs> they, well, so they, there was a made-for-TV sequel uh, that that came out that Ira had nothing to do with, and then uh, I, I'm trying to think what what was it called. Um, there was look what's happened to Rosemary's baby, and it's like a right. <laughs> and Patty Duke starred as Rosemary, and Ruth Gordon reprised her role as Minnie. Uh, oh, and then and then Ira wrote in 1997 son of rosemary in which the novel begins in 1989 (laughs) with rosemary waking up in a long-term care facility she has been in a coma since 1973 and then discovers that her coma resulted from a spell the coven cast on her when when they discovered that she had planned to run away with her young son andy who was seven years old at the time and so then the son was raised by minnie and roman and it goes it goes from there i don't think the book like got really good reception um unfortunately but uh but yeah that was from 1997 let's see my instinct was right my instinct was right she was like i gotta raise this kid he's uh, my kid even though he be the devil's does kid the devil as well. pay child support um That's a good anyway question. Cool. <laughs> um do you want to yeah, wrap up and give this a rating out of five sounds good to me all right terry how many devil's eyes out of five do you give rosemary's baby uh I, it's five i mean this is this is a a fantastic this is a fantastic movie i love i loved revisiting it to see how well it's held up because it's just it, it's two hours and 17 minutes long but it does not feel that long it just has a really fantastic pacing where scenes just sort of bleed into one another and it just carries you along that entire time mm-hmm. um and i love seeing sort of now with so much more film knowledge seeing kind of how it's uh you know kind of influenced other creators in that space uh it's it's perfect. The director behind it, not so much, but the movie itself is is perfect. Uh, so what about you, Mary Beth? It's five. I mean, also just hearing from you, Matt and Suzanne about like the history behind it, because you have so much cool knowledge about it. And it's just just knowing about how it came to be and what it kind of signaled for filmmaking and genre filmmaking and just being able to re-experience the beauty of how it is shot and just everything about it and how so meticulous it is. And how it builds dread. I think it's just such a masterclass. And like we said, talk like talking about building suspense and dread and just making an apartment feel like the worst place you've ever been. So it's the five. Um, but Matt and Suzanne, throwing it to you, you have the final word. How many devil's eyes out of five do you give this? See Rosemary's baby. One. <laughs> uh, five, definitely. I with the caveat that like the director's um criminal. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say oh, do you have anything? No, no, no. I'm going to say five. Uh, I do think it's a perfect film. I think there's a reason that we watch that film before we direct anything. I also think if I were, and this is something I think is Mm -hmm. so wonderful about it as a piece of art, if I were going off to direct a family dramedy, I could still learn from Mary's baby. Um, Every, every film has, you know, life has suspense and dread and, um, and I, I think no matter what genre you're looking at, you could study this film and how Polanski and his team approach things and, and take something from it. So, yeah. I mean, not many films do that. There are very few films that do that. It's also the kind of film I could finish and start over again and watch again and get something new from it every time I watch it. So five, 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 five. Hell yeah. 
Well, thank you both so much for, for joining much. us thank and talking about Rosemary's Baby and Scream. Where can our listeners find you? Are you on social media? And the floor is yours. What do you have coming up? What do you want to plug? Oh, um, I'm only on Instagram, kind of, uh, at Suzanne Coot. Matt. Hold on, I got this wrong the other day, so I got to look at what my We're hands. pretty bad. We're really bad. Oh, I'm on Instagram as Matt Maddie Angel and Twitter is Matt Angel 23. And um, just, you know, The Wrath of Becky comes out and uh, May 26th. And right now we're pens down in support of the uh, writer strike course. Um, cool. And Waiting for a fair deal so that we can uh... all start making some stuff again. Um, but yeah, yeah, so we're just, you know, um, I'm like making granola. So just yes. like homemade granola. There's, love that. There's granola. That's fantastic. Wow. And I'm essentially Martha Stewart, but uh, until we get a fair deal, then I will never make granola again, probably. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, I gave my handles, but yeah, yeah go see Wrath of Becky. Yeah. Um, it's our new. Go our, see Wrath of Becky. Our, mm-hmm. our new film. Uh, the the more people go see it and spread the word and uh, have fun, then, yeah. uh, you know, the longer it'll be in theaters. So. Yeah. Spread the yeah, because I, I want to see oh, the yeah. sequel too. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, got to get that going. Thanks, guys. Awesome. So, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Rosemary's baby? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we are on Patreon. Thank you to Eric Parr for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. scratch there's a playful way you can do just that scratch with the key or acrylic nail scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail use a belt buckle from your friend lamar or scratch with your pick while you play guitar you can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways scratchers from the california lottery a little play can make your day please play responsibly must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. 
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>